Hello and welcome to the South American Football Show on the World Football Index. On this week's episode, we're going to be looking at another fascinating week of Copa Libertadores action. To join me to discuss the highs and lows of, of another week of action is Austin Miller and Tom Robinson. I'll come to Austin first. How are you doing? I'm doing quite well, Adam. Good to be back on the show after a little bit of a hiatus for me. Always nice to get the call from the manager and know that he's got the confidence in you to, to put you out in the squad. Yeah, expecting a big performance from you today, Austin. And I'm also expecting a m- monumental effort from Tom Robinson. How are you, Tom? I'm very good, thanks, Adam. Obviously, a privilege, as always. And, yeah, really excited to discuss the Copa Libertadores um, games because we're getting to that stage now where the groups are starting to take shape. Everything has that added extra jeopardy and, you know, seeing more late late red cards and, and comical own goals. So it's all, all good for me. Indeed. And, and with 16 games in a week this year... Um, it means that we better get started quickly. Group A is where we're going to go to first, a group which saw International uh, go two goals up against reigning champions River Plate in Porto Alegre. Uh, but the but the champions hit back, didn't they, Tom? Um, and grabbed what looks like a crucial 2-2 draw given you know when the situation when they were 2 nil down it was it, it looked far from ideal but we've seen teams recover to win the competition from these kind of positions before including river if my memory serves me correctly a few years ago so it isn't time for River fans to panic just yet, is it? I think it's fair to say. Yeah, I think that's right. On you know, on one hand, it's a third consecutive draw. It's not been the best start. But in the context of the game, it, it was a great comeback against what I think is a good international side. Um, and once again, another sensational free kick to get them out of jail. I think this is probably the fifth goal that I can remember this season already in the in the in the Libertadores they've only scored from dead pool situations so far haven't they the penalty and two free kick yeah exactly so there's definitely work to be done with this Riverside but as you mentioned plenty of uh, we've seen it time and time again the amount of teams that struggle in the the group stage but then hit form later on and um, you can never really write this uh, River team off and uh, it was a great start from Inter Nico uh, Lopez with a nice opportunistic goal and great work from uh, River legend uh, D'Alessandro who's who's 37 years old but he's still got it he did a lovely little shuffle to get away and and provide that goal for Lopez and he did some some nice skill in the game as well Lopez has Lopez has been good in this tournament three goals now for him and then it was all looking pretty bad when Ed and Nelson sort of escaped and slotted away. But um, some some bold substitutions at halftime from Gajardo. Um, Martinez Cuarta came off um, and Majala came on. And uh, Nico de la Cruz uh, came on. Someone who's been quite maligned. I mean, you know, it was we, obviously Prato had the penalty just before halftime. Um to make it 2-1 but um, it, I think the crucial moment was uh, was that substitution at half time and yeah as I said De La Cruz has been a bit um, yeah he's not a fan's favourite let's put it that way but he's I think he's stepping up now and showing uh, the form that he showed at the Sudamericano under 20s in, in I think it was two years ago wasn't it um, with an absolutely brilliant free kick and um, you know if he, if he can recreate the the feats that his um, is his 
brother or cousin i can't remember exactly which one but carlos sanchez is a bit of a river legend and uh um, they had a bit of bants afterwards about uh, about the goal so yeah river improving but um you know still still some way to go for them it feels like at some point river plate are going to have to win a game but they are as you said tom they're doing enough to kind of just stick around in this group um a big match between river and palestino uh, looming down the line when, when these two teams meet again in the group um on april 24th at, at palestino's home ground i think that's obviously going to go a long way to determining what happens here in Group A. For Internacional, uh, when they were 2-0 up, I actually tweeted out that they'd been really impressive and, and I could see them lasting a long time in this competition. Uh, they gave up that two-goal lead, which is obviously not a great sign. But I think seven points from their first three matches uh, is is certainly a good start for Inter. Uh, Nico Lopez is a player who has really hit his form when he moved to Inter initially, he had a bit of a tough start. There was actually a time when Ariel Nawalpan was getting games ahead of him. Um, I don't know where Nawalpan is now, but it's 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 not in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, but he's he started to play really well. As you said, he's got the goals so far in this competition and, and has just been a really big piece for Internacional. Um, so I think this is a positive start for them. It's not a great result. They would have obviously liked to have gotten the three points here and been able to kind of just run and hide in this group. But I think things are looking pretty good for Inter. For River, um, as I said, they're hanging around in this group and you can't count out the defending champions. Um, but at some point, they're going to have to put a performance together. And it'll be interesting to see if that is that that crucial match coming with Palestino in a few weeks' time. Indeed, Austin. And um, and I was at Palestino's 3-0 victory over Alianza Lima on Tuesday night. And it was, by some distance, the easiest night I've seen a Chilean side have in the Copa Libertadores for many a year. And if, Palest if Palestino have any regrets, perhaps not making the scoreline even more emphatic and increasing their goal difference. Wait a sec. The first few minutes um, of this game, um, it kind of started out even enough, but Palestino soon took control of the game. And the first shot on target in the match actually came in the first minute from Porquera, um, who actually limped off after just a few minutes. And, and that meant Palestino were actually without their three most dangerous attacking talents with uh, Roberto Gutierrez, not fit to start. And also one of the players of the tournament so far, in my opinion, uh, Luis Jimenez, uh, suspended. So at that point, uh, there was a bit of worry, certainly sort of in, in the stands around me, you know, where are chances going to come from with, without those creative talents um, off, off the pitch? But they needn't not worry because Palestino perhaps create more chances than in any of the previous games. Um, and, the, and even before they broke the deadlock, um, there was many warning signs there for Alianza Lima. Uh, Resende missed a good chance. Um, Cortez missed one from just under the bar. Um, Julian Fernandez, who scored in the qualifying rounds from a Soto cutback. Uh, a similar move in, in this game ended up with Fernandez just, um, just blasting over the bar. So, yeah, they missed sort of chances of varying difficulty, really. But Palestino finally got, got their goal. It came in quite fortunate circumstances, really, with uh, Brian Vecha's awkward uh, cross kind of being fumbled out by 
Gayassi, that's Peru's number one goalkeeper. So that was a bit of a surprise to see him make a mistake. Um, he's kind of fumbled it out onto the shins of a Aliat Salima defender and it, and it went in. And after that, it was really all Palestino. Um, Alianza Lima went down to 10 men at the start of the second half. Uh, Ramirez got sent off, Relbo in a, a Palestino player. I think it was Resende. It was, it was fairly comfortable. <laughs> Palestino had this striker up front. I can hear the surprise in your voice, Adam. You're not used to talking like this <laughs> about a Chilean side. <laughs> well, yeah, it's been an unbelievable week for, for Chilean sides, really. Um, I'll, I'll come on to that in a bit, but... Yeah, one one of the one of the stories of the week really has been Lucas Passerini, who who turned in an excellent display tonight, despite missing his usual couple of sitters. He's really got a reputation here in Chile in just his couple of months with Palestino of missing sort of an e- one or two easy chances every game. In this game, he kind of nearly missed the one he finally did score. He ended up sort of poking it home after sort of miscontrolling it. And um, he went running to the stands to celebrate with the Palestino supporters. And the camera, I noticed on the highlights, the camera panned to, to his manager, Basai, on, on the touchline, who was, uh, who was laughing. And it looked like he was, he was saying something like, finally, finally. <laughs> But, you know, this, this this big oaf up front has finally put the ball in the net. And then minutes later, after he finally scored, you think, all right, OK, his confidence must be running high now. He ended up missing a great chance just minutes later. But, yeah, we'll let him off, though, because he touched the, he touched the ball on nicely for the third goal, uh, which was the pick of the bunch. Um, Fabian Amara uh, firing home into roof and net uh, from just inside the box. He, he kind of flicked it up for himself as well. So, yeah, it looked a very nice goal. Um, and, yeah, and that's four points from three games for Palestino. Uh, they played two at home, albeit in two different stadiums. Um, the, the, the loss against Internacional came at Catolica Stadium, while this win came in Colo Colo Stadium. I think it's more likely they're going to use... Colo Colo Stadium for the clash, that vital clash with River Plate. I've been looking at the table and I think that if they can get maybe four points from the River and Alianza Lima games, um, then I think it will leave them in a very decent position to to qualify. But um, yeah, it's, it's very difficult to write the Champions River off, obviously, at this point. Um, and you can, they're certainly capable of beating Palestino here in here in Santiago. But certainly, if Palestino can get a, can get four points from that away game against Alianza Lima and River at home, then yeah, I think I'd fancy their chances in that in in that in that scenario. Very quickly before we move on from this group, Adam, I think goal differential, as you said, could play a big part. River play Alianza Lima next. But if you'll remember, that match will be played behind closed doors. So I don't know if that could potentially have an effect on River's ability or desire to run the goal differential up. But something to keep an eye on as this group kind of winds down. And it looks like those two teams will be the ones fighting for that second spot. And before we move on, I just want to echo Adam's sentiments about Passerini. I thought he was a really good focal point for uh, Palestino, you know, at- he might not be the most clinical in front of goal, but he's really good at bringing other people into play and, and Alianza just couldn't handle him. Once again, we've seen an Alianza side that are just less than the sum of their parts. And I was really disappointed with, with the way they, uh, that, yeah, they just came to this game. Obviously ever since 
Ramirez went off, you thought there's no way back into the game for them. Um, and then, yeah, Passerini's two contributions there for that, especially for that excellent third goal were, were really good. So, yeah, it's all set up now to be um, probably a, a more competitive group than we might have uh, anticipated at first. Yeah, and like I mentioned earlier and, and um, like Austin hinted at as well, this was kind of a very good week for, for Chilean teams in, in South um in South American football because it had the under-17s. They made it through to the final stage of, of that tournament and started with a 1-0 win. Colo Colo won in the Sudamericana away in Quito against Universidad Católica. Um, and also Palestino, obviously, this 3-0 win. And you had Universidad de Concepcion grab a 0-0 draw with 10 men, we come on to that later, as well as Catholica's 1-0 win over Gremio, which we'll also come on to later. And long-term listeners of this pod will know that I haven't had a week <laughs> to talk about Chilean football so positively in a, in a long time, I don't think. Um, especially, you know, all those five matches together, Chilean sides didn't even concede a goal, which is one of the most un-Chilean football things, I think, I can remember say. Yeah, it's uh, it's been a pleasing week. <laughs> to Group G for now. One of the headline results of the week saw Atletico Paranaense win three 0 at home to Boca Juniors. Tom, I think you saw this one. Did the scoreline reflect the game? Yes, yes, it did, in, in a word. Um, I think, yeah, one of the biggest results of the week, without a doubt. Boca, who had who'd been looking better under Alfaro. I, I know that I've criticised them a bit on, on previous pods, but they've been playing better in the league and, and starting to look like they've got a style of play and, and, and getting... Yeah, getting getting some good results as well. They were just absolutely put to the sword by um, Marco Ruben's hat trick for Paranaense, and I, th- I was really really impressed with Paranaense. I thought um, not only obviously Ruben as a as a clinical finisher at this level, you know we've seen him being amazing for Rosario Central in the past, but Ronnie was very creative on the left. Um, be interesting to hear um, Austin's thoughts um, about him because he's a player that I don't know a, a great deal about, but he was he was an um, yeah, just that spark of invention and and pace that that really had Boca backtracking, especially their um, aging fullbacks. They just couldn't handle him at all. And then you know you got players like Lucho Gonzalez, who's a very experienced operator at this level, and and some good young talents as well, like Bruno Guimaraes. I, th- I thought he um, was a very good athletic box to box, but also good passing midfielder. And the left back Renan Lodi as well combined really nicely with Ronnie um so uh, I mean Boca apart from Sebastian Mia didn't really didn't really trouble I mean Benedetto had some really good chances that that he 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 missed and he's not been in great form lately Tevez had a half decent chance but realistically it was was all Paranaense who um, are very good at home and, you know, the, the first goal did have a touch of fortune about it. There was some good work from Ronnie who stole the ball off Buffarini, I think it was. Crossed it in. There was a, sh- a scuff shot from Lucho. And then it fell to Ruben, who, who did who did very well to improvise um, and put it into the net. Um, 
again, second start of second half, we saw another big miss from Benedetto. Um, and then Paranaense doubled their advantage. Guimaraes charging forward, sort of seemingly unopposed as as the Boca defence were sort of more um, worried about some of the uh, forward runners. Um, but he squared it across, hint of offside about it, but just Ruben doing what he does best and, and just being that fox in the box. Um, and then Ruben Julie got his hat trick. There was a corner to the to the far post. I think it was Ronnie who volleyed it against the bar, and Ruben reacted quickest with a diving header. So it, yeah, it's tightened the the group uh, right up. And um, I mean, I th- again, like River, I think Boca have have got enough to to sort of see them through to the next round because I, I haven't really been that impressed with Tolima or, or Wilsterman. Um, but it's tight, and uh, they've only got four points from three games um, not scoring loads and not being that resolute in defence so certainly worrying um, but uh, yeah but more more credit to Paranaense than, than anything from this result yeah Tom this is a really interesting Atletico side I think they're built really well um, the combination of players that they have just works well together uh, you've got a veteran like Lucho Gonzalez in the midfield uh, Guimaraes, as you said, has been very dangerous. Nikau is a good player on the right wing. Uh, Hani has been particularly strong for them on the left wing. And then they did a great bit of business to bring in Marco Ruben. Um, Striker is a position that they'd struggled with over the past few years. Um, and they, they brought in a guy who we know can score at this level. And sometimes that's the difference. And that clearly was um, in this match with, with Ruben picking up that Hattie. Uh, this is a good team. The synthetic pitch that they have uh, is always going to make a difference. Teams in South America just are not used to playing on that surface. And so the advantage that Atletico have is that they do play on that surface. Um, the roof gets closed on that arena and the crowd gets packed in and it's a really good home atmosphere. So as you said, I think they deserve a lot of credit for this performance. Boca, I think I'm with you, Tom. Like River, they're probably going to be fine in this group. But looking down the line, we could have both Boca and River finishing as runners-up, uh, which could make for some pretty tasty ties in the round of 16 should that come to pass. But obviously, that's still a long way down the line. Credit to Atletico for this performance. Uh, they're a good side, and, and I don't think anybody will want to be playing them with what they've shown as is a pretty strong home field advantage. Do either of you guys have any fear that Boca might not even make it to the last 16? Having seen Deportes, Tolima, and Jorge Wilsterman... Not really, no. I think it would take something pretty strong. Boca still have two home matches left. Wilsterman at home, we've seen that movie before. And then they finish with Atletico at home. Atletico could have the group sewn up by that point. Uh, I think Boca should be fine here. Yeah, I'd agree with Austin there. I I think, um, yeah, there's not too much to worry, especially with those two home games. So uh, even if they scrape through like they did last year to be fair I, th- I think there's not too much to worry about for or our Boca supporting listeners out there yeah I think I tend to agree the other game in this group ended up being quite an entertaining affair it finished 2-2 um, Talima appeared to be coasting to victory but pod favourites Jorge Wilson heroically came back from two goals down to claim a 2-2 draw away in Colombia Strangely, our resident Colombian expert has decided to give the pod a miss this week. (laughs) (laughs) Would anyone like to stand in for him, Austin? Yeah, uh, this was a match that part of the reason why I feel pretty strongly about Boca still getting out of this group is Talima let two points slip away in this match. And this absolutely should have been two points for the host. 
Um, Marco Perez scored in the sixth minute, then picked up a brace in the 60th minute. Uh, some good play from Tolima. They looked dangerous. They looked strong. They were two goals up against a Bolivian side at home. And there's no scenario in which you should ever get anything less than three points from that scoreline at that time. But a, a pair of goals from Ricardo Pedriel, uh, one in the 75th minute, one in the 80th minute, lifted Jorge Wilsterman to a point away from home, which doesn't happen very often for them. Uh, the final 10 minutes, Talima kind of snapped back into this game after it appears like they just took their foot off the pedal for about 10 minutes that allowed Wilsterman back in it. For the final 10 minutes, it was once again one-way traffic. Some creative time-wasting from Jorge Wilsterman. Their substitute goalkeeper got sent off on the bench and then obviously didn't leave the pitch in a timely manner. So that worked in their favor. It, it, they're really good time wasters. Let's give Wilsterman credit for what they're good at, and that's wasting time. Uh, they ground out a point here. It's pretty hard to see Jorge Wilsterman doing anything in this group um, from this point on. But, hey, a good result for them. And they've certainly tilted the stage back into Boca's favor after their poor result with a poor result for Tolima. Uh, as you said, Adam, not a great week for Colombian football in the, the, the Copa Libertadores. Maybe that's why Simon's not on the show. I'll go ahead. I'll say it, what everybody's thinking. Um, but tough to see Tolima going from here, even though they're level on points with Boca juniors. Uh, they still have to play Boca at home, but that's the only home match that Tolima have left. Um, whereas Boca still have two. Tolima still have to go to Paranaense, and they still have to go to Cochabamba on the final day, which, as we know, can be a tricky place. So a big, big missed opportunity for the Colombians to put some real pressure on the defending runners-up. Yeah, I think um, I agree with that. And I think Wilstermen are going to be the happiest of, of the two here. And fair play to them, showing some real spirit getting back into it. Lovely time-wasting, as Austin said. Um, and also, I think... Um, for those who haven't seen it, worth checking out Marco Perez's second goal. Um, not the not the cleanest of contacts, but quite a, a nice, cheeky, improvised back heel that kind of dribbled into the goal. So that's, that's definitely worth checking out for anyone who hasn't seen it. Okay, let's move on to talk about Group D, um, a match which saw a very entertaining and highly amusing 3-3 draw between San Jose of Bolivia and LDU Quito of Ecuador. Um, a Libertadores classic at high altitude, I think I'd describe this one. Um, I, I actually only saw the second half, but that was enough to last long in the memory. It contained two incredible own goals, a fantastic comeback from the Bolivian side, it has to be said as well. But Austin, I think my favourite thing about this game was just how gutted each side looked at the end of it. It kind of felt like drop points for, for both. Yeah, Adam, this was the rare 3-3-3 result. Three goals for San Jose, three goals for LDU Quito, and three goals for own goal in this match. Uh, it was a Libertadores classic, not the cleanest game of football you'll ever see. Three, the two points dropped for each of these sides. I think they'll both feel that they could have and perhaps should have won it. Um, the three own goals will, will catch the headlines, but I was a big fan of the first goal that that uh, Liga de Quito scored. Uh, Juan Anangono just ripping the ball from about 25 yards, nestled right into the corner. Tightly strung nets in Ordo, which always makes those goals from distance look that much better because they just kind of bounce off the back of the net. A really good strike. That put Quito on top. San Jose pulled one back. 
39-year-old Carlos Saucedo getting it at half an hour to make it 1-1. And then the next two goals were scored by San Jose, but into the net of LDU Quito. Uh, Christian Mena became the first player in Copa Libertadores history to score two own goals in the same match. The second one was particularly rough. Uh, a back pass to Boca Juniors legend Carlos Lampe. He of the three months and no games for Boca <laughs> Juniors last time around. Uh, they got their signals crossed, but it was to the type of back pass where it just rolled agonizingly slowly towards the goal line, but there was nobody that could do anything about it. Uh, there was a look on Carlos Lampe's face after that goal made it 3-1 that just kind of said, oh man, what have I done? This is not how I thought things would go when I moved to Boca with the intention of playing in a Copa Libertadores final. Uh, but then, as you said, credit to San Jose for battling back from that. They got some some fortune of their own on their second goal, uh, which was a, a Christian Cruz own goal for from the Quito defender. Uh, nobody within any sort of distance from him, but he just decided that he really needed to try to clear the ball. And he just hit it as hard as he could, uh, and it sliced right into his own goal to make it 3-2. And then Bolivia International, Rodrigo Romayo, had the last goal for San Jose to make this 3-3. Big points dropped for all involved. Uh, a win for San Jose, and they would have been sniffing around in this group. A win for Liga de Quito, and they would have put the pressure squarely on Flamengo, a side who we've seen struggle to deal with the pressure. We'll get on to that match in a second. So missed opportunities for both of these teams, but great entertainment for everybody who took part. And Austin, the other game in this group was marred by some violent scenes on the streets of Rio in, in the build-up to it, and that is Flamengo nil, Peñarol 1. Uh, Viati last minute goal throws this group really wide open, doesn't it? Yeah, this was a huge result for Peñarol, a team who we've seen really struggle lately in the Copa Libertadores, particularly away from home. Um, you mentioned the the violence on the streets beforehand. Uh, always a, certainly a shame to see that in the Libertadores. Definitely not what we want, um, which is a shame, particularly how great the atmosphere was at the Maracanã for Flamengo when they played Liga de Quito earlier on. Um, the atmosphere was was quite good once again. But for Flamengo, they just didn't quite have it on the night. And credit to the resolute defending of Peñarol. They didn't give up too many clear-cut chances in this match. Gabriel Barbosa, who had been in flying form for Flamengo, particularly in the Libertadores, was sent off on 75 minutes for a challenge that he'll tell you he should have just gotten a yellow for. Uh, but Adam, I believe you're with me on this one. That's a straight red card. Oh, yeah, definitely. I, I can't see how he could have had any complaints uh, with that one. Uh, just another quick note, actually, uh, on this, because I think it was on a pod maybe after Peñarol lost the last time they, they went away in this competition, whenever that was, which a couple of weeks ago now, I think. Suddenly, you know, they finally break that bad run by winning in American R of all places, which is a, which is worth noting. And a really satisfying win too. Uh, a last minute goal, as you said, 88th minute from Viatri, uh, a bouncing header that managed to find the top corner. He took it really well, uh, kind of drove it into the ground with his head and let it bounce out of the outstretched arms of Diego Alves. Uh, a really, really good result for Peñarol. Flamengo were, were upset with some of the tactics. Uh, we see this a lot in the Copa Libertadores, and, and this is not necessarily just a knock on Flamengo, but teams get really upset when their opponents time waste, and, and that was a main criticism of Flamengo. Uh, Gabby Gol was pretty adamant. Oh, you know, Peñarol, they, they didn't come here to play football. They tried to time waste the whole game. Uh, you know, the referee let it go on too far. I should have only seen a yellow card. 
And it's just always amusing because the shoe is always going to be on the other foot at some point. There's not a team that takes the pitch in the Copa Libertadores that doesn't end up time-wasting at some point. In fact, Flamengo did it in their opening group stage match when they went to altitude against San Jose. They didn't have much intention of playing football in that match. Peñarol did what they had to do to get the three points, and that can be frustrating to play against, but... There's going to be a situation where Flamengo are going to try to do the same thing. So I always find those comments amusing. Credit to Peñarol for getting the win. Uh, They top this group via goal differential. Them and Flamengo each on six points. Liga de Quito on four. Flamengo still have two away matches to play. They've struggled away from home in this competition. They do get San Jose at home next, which you would think should be three points for them. But it's still a lot to play for in this group. And Flamengo away to Peñarol on the final day of the group stage. Uh, should be quite entertaining for sure. Yeah, I don't think you can have too much uh, sympathy for Flamengo there. I, th- I thought Peñarol were well worth their victory, even if they might have um, been a bit savvy and uh, done a bit of time wasting. I thought they had the better of the chances. There was one great save from Diego Alves at one point. Um, and yeah, textbook header from Viatri, someone who's not always had the best of luck with his, uh, with his head in his face. I think once he... Um, ended up getting really badly injured from a load of fireworks going off in his face. So good to see him using his head sensibly for once, not, not the, not known as one of the more intelligent Argentinian strikers, but yeah, textbook header, wasn't it? And, um, I think, um, I think Peñarol really, really deserves that credit from bouncing back from that opening day defeat. And they're actually looking like for the first time in a long time that they might, get out of the group stage and live up to their their good league form so yeah interesting to that on the topic of gabigol before we do move on a chance for me to get a quick plug in here on the comable libertadores site copalibertadores.com slash en a really good interview with gabriel barbosa there's a video component um some great questions a lot of insight onto a player who i think certainly is a bit misunderstood particularly after his his ill-fated move to europe so if you do want to learn a bit more about gabby we'll go and check that out um i was really pleased with with how that turned out so so give that a look Let's move on to Group H. Um, Universidad Católica overcame 2017 Libertadores Champions Gremio 1-0. I think I mentioned on the pod last week that I saw the fact that Católica had three home matches in a row in this group as an as an excellent opportunity um, to put themselves in a great position in the group. Well, they've won two um, now, two of the three matches. They've got another one to come next week. Um, and yeah, they are five points clear of Gremio and Rosario Central. Um, right, so a five-point lead from those two, with three remaining. It is looking good for the Chilean champions. This was a very solid performance from Cotolica, it has to be said. They dealt with the threat of Gremio very easily. Um, Luan, one of the you know major stars of the of the tournament a couple of years ago, um, he looked a shadow of himself. In this one, he barely got a kick. Um, Everton was constantly closed down, and he got kind of more and more frustrated as the game went on, I think. But yeah, I think we have to really focus on some of the excellent performances on the Katolika side. Benjamin Kusevich, uh, a Chilean 22-year-old centre-back, 
Um, had a really good game. This is the kind of coming of age sort of game, I, I would say, that you're looking for. And, and I think it would have caught the eye of any scouts watching, I think. Um, Sebastian Sayers, Godolica's number nine. He, he, he actually got man of a match in this one and led the line brilliantly. But what's interesting about this, it's, it's basically a very similar story to Passerini where he's really been a figure of fun here um, for the last few months. and um, But he took his goal expertly in, in, in this one after an excellent team move. Um, but yeah, Sia is, is, is another one of those strikers who, who misses a lot more um, than, than he scores. Um, but yeah, he, 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 was, he was probably man of the match in this one. So... Um, he, he, was, he was given a standing ovation when he went off the field towards the end of the game. The Chilean internationals, uh, Jose Pedro Fuenzalida and um, Edson Puch, they were, they were fantastic um, out, out wide. Um, gave Gremio all kinds of problems all game. Fuenzalida especially, they didn't know particularly, um, they couldn't get the ball off him, the, the Gremio players. So um, this was... Um, an, an excellent display from Cotolica. I felt they had the control for the majority of the game. Um, there was, although Gremio had more of the ball, they, they never really created much. Um, Cortez, uh, who was probably Gremio's best player, he, he had a shot well saved in the, in the second half. But it was actually Cotolica who came closest to scoring again in this match. So they had two efforts which very nearly went in towards the end of the game. One of them, uh, Riesco, who had come off the bench, uh, the big Colombian uh, forward who came on for side. Why is he wearing number three? I Adam, don't know. Can we fix I, that? No, I, st- I haven't found out why he's wearing number three. But yeah, he, he had a header um, well saved. And and then I think it was Fuen Salida who had a shot blocked shortly after that as well. So, yeah, this is uh, now an excellent opportunity for Cadolica to, to get into the last 16, especially if they can beat Libertad at home. And that won't be easy, though, because the Paraguayans, like all the Paraguayan sides in this competition this year, have been in fantastic form. Um, we'll talk a little bit more about that in a bit. But, Tom, I'm going to come to you now. This was a really disappointing Rosario Central display, wasn't it? And we haven't really seen any signs of life from them at all in, in this competition. They were outplayed again for the third game running. And it's difficult to see a way back for them. For me, one of the worst sides in this competition this year. And for a club of their size, coming from Argentina, who have such a great history in this tournament, it's, it's a great shame, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's any surprise to for anyone who's watched them, especially recently, that they've been um, this poor again under the new management now of of Diego Coca, who's you know a massive change in style from um, Bowser before. You know, he's a much more attacking manager, and I still think they're just trying to get to grips with with that new new way of playing. But you know, in 2019, they've only had one win all year. So that just shows you in what a bad state they are. They qualified for this tournament by winning the Copa Argentina and that, you know, they, they hadn't done particularly well in, in the league last year. So realistically, this is this is not the best central side um, that we've seen for a long time. And, and they were deservedly beaten um, by, by a really good uh, Libertad team. Um, nice 
nice goal, uh, headed goal from Espinosa to get things going for the Paraguayans. Um, Ricalde with the corner there, and it was Ricalde who, who was definitely the man of the match there um, with an absolutely fantastic golasso from about 25 yards out to seal the victory. He just, it was one of those moments where he just kind of looked up, realised that no one was closing him, him down, rolled the ball out of his feet, and then just unleashed this absolute arrowed shot into the bottom corner um, for a deserved win. But yeah, Rosario Central, um, none of us were expecting anything from them, but I think they've even still managed to disappoint us from just how uncompetitive they've been. And I don't think there's really any way of them getting back into this um, very competitive group. Um, And yeah, um, as with all the Paraguayans uh, this week in this tournament, um, really impressed with them. And I think, you know, we could see certainly one of these um, three Paraguayan sides doing quite quite a lot of um, you know good things and potentially getting uh, into the into the very latter stages of this tournament so definitely ones to watch um yeah I've, I've seen some criticism but and I think we've discussed this before on the pod that obviously with the Argentine teams qualifying for the Libertadores so many months in advance you know nine what basically a year in advance isn't it um of of the competition but that's not the case for this Rosario Central side as you say they won the Copa Argentina and if I recall correctly that didn't finish did it until the end of last year Um, I know they've had a change of coach but has the playing squad changed that much since then not a great deal I just don't think you know they they did well in the cup but there's a lot of teams that don't really take that too seriously and and it's you know cup competitions certainly on a domestic level in Argentina, are, are very different from, you know, get, get, like gauging the, the success of the team over um, a whole year like you can from the league. So they've got some all right players in there, but there's Ortigosa has, has done well, but he's he's passed his best. Um, Caruso has had a bit of experience and success along the way. Zampedri's fine, but there's absolutely no one in there who's got a, any spark about them. And they're just a lot of, fives and six out of ten type players there um so i don't think the managerial upheaval has um sorry the managerial upheaval has helped at all um but certainly if we compare them to the site you know the rosario central side um of years gone by which which have had more young prospects in them and also have had you know more investment of, of bigger names it's yeah they're a shade of that side and again the Copa Argentina is a great way of getting into the tournament and even though like you said it wasn't that long ago that they won it they you know they were never close in the league and they're they're not one of these sides that has been gutted and and stripped of all their best players in the in the sort of months since they qualified they're just a very bang average team who are getting shown up at this level basically. Okay, well, let's move on to Group E to talk about a dramatic clash between Brazilian side Atletico Mineiro and Zamora of Venezuela. We didn't expect much from the Venezuelan sides this year, but when Zamora went two up against against Mineiro in Belo Horizonte, it was it was looking like it could be a, a shock on the cards, no, Austin. But in the end, 
the Brazilian side managed to save their blushes. They managed to not only save their blushes, I think they saved their season, particularly in the Copa Libertadores. Uh, a loss or even a draw here for Gallo would have left them a long way away from second place in this group with only three matches to play. And they also would have dropped points at home to what is unquestionably the least talented team in this group. A ton of credit should go to Zamora. Um, difficult situations, as we're all aware of, in Venezuela. We'll get on to Deportivo Lara in a minute, who deserve a lot of credit as well for what they've been able to do. Uh, Zamora came to Belo Horizonte and they came to play. Uh, they obviously had a, a, a stout defensive performance, but they looked quite dangerous on the counterattack, and that's how they got their first goal. A really well-taken header from Erickson Gallardo to put Zamora on top. And then they countered their way to the second goal, um, Perhaps a questionable offside decision allowed Guillermo Paiva to, to walk in on goal and finish to put Zamora 2-0 up at halftime. And at that point, it looked like it was full-on panic for Atletico Mineiro. A, a loss or a draw, as I said, and they would have been as good as done in this competition. They didn't look overly impressive in the second half. They just kind of kept throwing things at Zamora until it finally stuck. The wonderfully named Mykon Bolt. Got the first back for Atletico Mineiro. A really good cross from the wing from Luan. And Mykon got his head to it to, to make it 2-1. Uh, and then kind of a bit of a scramble situation in the box on the second goal. It was Vinicius in the end who got the touch to it. It kind of bounced around and came to his foot. And he was able to just take the strike and beat the keeper. That had it at 2-2. Zamora were then reduced to 10 men. A second yellow card for Hernandez on the 75th minute. And then Atletico Mineiro won a penalty uh, in the 80th minute. Uh, a Zamora defender with a handball in the box. He, it was a tough one because it's one of those, you see it all the time, where the defender slides in to make a tackle and he kind of just leaves his arm behind him and that's what ends up touching the ball. But the official did point to the spot and, and Fabio Santos, who uh, has been Atletico Mineiro's chosen penalty taker for a little bit, stepped up, put it in the, in the corner and gave them a 3-2 win. Tough on Zamora, who, as I said, were game for this match. They counterattacked well. They probably deserved more than they got from it. Uh, a long way back for them into the group, even with two home games left. It's hard to see them doing much. Atletico Mineiro are alive. Uh, they only have one home match left. That'll be a crucial one at home against Nacional, who now sit in second place. Uh, they still have to go to Cerro Porteño, and then they finish up away to Zamora. So a lot for them left to do, but they've given themselves a chance in this group, uh, and that's big news for the Brazilians. Uh, once again, a tip of the cap to Zamora. I was really impressed with the, with their effort in this match. Um, Paiva, in particular, has been dangerous in this competition. Um, but in the end, it was Mineiro with too much, and Mineiro with a shot now in this group. Yeah, they do have a shot, but one team that looks like they're probably going to make it to the last 16 is Serra Bordeño. Uh, they beat Nacional 1-0. You know, both those, both these sides had won their opening two matches, so it meant like another win here means qualification was pretty much almost guaranteed. So just three games in, it was the Paraguayans who who look like they're gonna make it through, and they've been very impressive so far, haven't they, Tom? Yeah, they've they've had a great start to the tournament, three wins out of three, and nothing more satisfying than doing a classic Nacional on Nacional with a with a 1-0 game, uh, the first game of the round, and I'm not going to lie, it was probably one of the most boring <laughs> games of this week, um, very few chances, um, I think, yeah, just probably, what I think Nacional probably had one head that just went wide from a corner um, and it was, yeah, 
the veteran defender Victor Caceres, who who got in and got the winner. Um, a free kick on the left was flicked on, and he def- found himself at the back post and and converted for that all important um, winner. Uh, two sides, there's not a lot to choose from them, but again, the Paraguayans showing that they've got that mix of um, experience with with uh, with a bit of class, obviously. Jairo Valdez and, and Larive are guys who are sort of nearing the end of their career. But um, at this level, they're, they're effective up front. They might not have scored this week, but um, I think, you know, they've got a solid team behind them with a bit of skill, bit of pace from the likes of Arsamendia and uh, Garisa. And again, they're looking in a strong position. Um, unfortunate for Nacional. Um, it wasn't their best performance, and they and they really kind of came for the draw, I think, and um, uh, didn't didn't get the result they were looking for. Um, but again, they're a side who are nice and solid. They've got a few options they can bring off the bench, um, and maybe not quite as, as much cutting edge. But um, I think they're they're both in. They'll both be pretty happy with the way that these first three games have gone, and um, I'm, I'm sure we'll see a bit more of Cerro. Um, Perhaps the the least exciting of the three Paraguayans, but um, they could definitely go on a run, just like um, just like Libertad. Let's move on to talk about Group C, which RB. Pretty much talking solo on, I think. Sporting Cristal lost 3-0 at home to Olympia. This game, it was fairly dull in the first half. Um, Olympia had a goal marginally ruled offside. The Paraguayans, though, took real control uh, of the game in the second half. Uh, they took the lead thanks to some, some of the worst zonal marking on a corner you're ever likely to see in your life, which allowed Roque Santa Cruz to bullet home a header. The former Blackburn man... Still scoring goals this side of the water. Um, Mendieta, one of my favourite players in Libertadores this year, I've, I've seen so far. He, he made it too shortly afterwards with a wonderful piece of control and finishing. Um, Rodrigo Rocas uh, finished things off um, with a few minutes to go with a powerful header from close range from a silver cross. And uh, yeah, I'd heard plenty about Olympia actually coming into this Libertadores. Um, a friend of mine said that they, they could be a bit of a dark horse for, for the tournament and they're, they're going to be one of the best sides to watch. After the first two games, I haven't really seen it, but I think this second half performance is, is definitely one they can take great confidence from going forward. As for Sporting Cristal, um, this, this group looked pretty even up until this game. It was, it, and now you're thinking they 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 could be the whipping boys in the group um, going going forward. This result surely got to do um, a lot of damage to morale in the camp. Um, uh, morale, which has been damaged quite a lot, I think, probably over the last few months, especially with the loss of their excellent Chilean head coach Mario Salas to Colo Colo in in uh, over the South American summer. Um, Vivas who replaced him hasn't really cut the mustard um, and I think uh, they've lost the fact they've lost a number of key players as well hasn't, hasn't helped and um, 
And yeah, I think now they're, they're looking like the weak link in a group, which was, like I say, one of the most competitive looking before this hiding. The other game in this group was actually fairly dull, which is surprising given the entertainment Universidad de Concepcion had offered us in the, in the first couple of weeks of this, of this competition. Um, their chances of winning this game wasn't helped by a first half red card for Guillermo Pacheco. Um, it was a game sort of littered with niggly fouls, um, quite a card happy ref. It was a, it wasn't a game particularly high in quality. God I Cruz, as you would expect against ten men, you know they edged the possession and they and they had a lot more shots than than Concepcion. But I think really overall nil nil was a fair reflection on this game. Um, Nicholas Oriana had a couple of uh, a couple of promising moments for for the home side. There was this one really lovely run that he had. Um, I think it was in the first half where he skipped through a couple of players and then sort of went to lob the goalkeeper. But yeah, he, he got he got that slightly wrong and it, and it did end up dropping a few yards wide of the post. So yeah, either team could have maybe snatched a 1-0 win in this. But I think given, and I certainly think given the circumstances, um, Universal Conception will actually be quite happy that they got a 0-0 out of this in the end. Um, because well, yeah, like I say, being down to 10 men, for about an hour of the game. Um, you know, if the odds weren't in their favour at that point, um, I think certainly the Chilean side are capable of claiming another four or five points from the remaining three games. And if they did that, I think that would possibly be enough to just see them edge through to the last 16. Um, but yeah, it's, it's going to be fascinating to see. I think these two sides meet on, on the last match day in Mendoza and back could well be a playoff to see who goes through to the knockout stage. Let's move on to talk about Group F, which sees... Almiron, the legendary manager, Almiron, <laughs> who guided Lanus to the final um, a couple of years ago. His balmy army of San Lorenzo are now top of the group after a 1-0 win over Palmeiras. Um, Tom, how have they done it? <laughs> I wish I knew, but it seems that the Libertadores has been the, the tonic that they've needed. Uh, obviously, that, that awful league form that had seen you know, up till recently, sort of no no wins since October. They're now unbeaten in three Libertadores games. I think they're unbeaten in the last five in, in all competitions as yet well. To, yet and to it's, concede in the Libertadores. Exactly, exactly. And I think that is actually quite a big part of, of what's, what's been going right for them. I think they've gone back to basics. They're not free flowing and, you know, they're sort of scored one a game for the last five games, but they're not really conceding any, which is really, really important. And that combination of, um, Colicini, who's got so much experience and the young, uh, prospects Senesi, who I think is a, a really talented defender is working really well. Um, and they, I thought they were, they were pretty decent in this game um considering how bad they've been recently that you know it's a clash between two 
massive traditional sides, really high profile game, um, but definitely would be seen as, as a shock result in the context of how these two sides have performed over the last year or so. Um, and, uh, you know, they hit the post early on. There was a there was a nice uh, bicycle kick attempt from Palmeiras, which hits the crossbar. And then the goal was, I thought, was really well worked. It was um, the 20-year-old 20 right back, Marcelo Herrera, um, sort of his first breakthrough season. And, uh, yeah, nice move. Um, they kind of moved the ball quickly and, and up the field um, nicely. And he, he sort of rampaged forward. No one really went to close him down. So he kind of checked his run and zipped a really excellent low right-footed daisy cutter into the into the corner from the edge of the area and you know there was obviously a lot of pressure coming on towards them at the end um of, of the game but they they showed that resoluteness in defense and you know this this might be a turning point for them and and certainly i don't think anyone was expecting them to have done this well i think it's been helped by how poor Junior have been in this group, which I'm sure we'll get onto, and maybe Palmeiras. Um, well, up until this game, I thought Palmeiras were looking great, but um, a bit of a shock result. How, what's what's your reaction about it, Austin? I think it's certainly a setback for Palmeiras, but I don't think there's really too much to be made of this result. Uh, San Lorenzo, as you said, have shown themselves to be fairly resolute defensively. Palmeiras weren't necessarily at the races attacking and, and got beat by a shot from distance that rolled in. I think Palmeiras are, are still looking fairly good to get out of this group. Uh, they still have a pair of home games left, uh, including against a junior side who's really struggled. So certainly a disappointing result. Palmeiras could have been really almost all but through had they won this match. Uh, but on six points from their first three matches with two home games still to go, I think they'll be fine with that. San Lorenzo... Um, Certainly not what we expected for them. I, I think expectations were quite low, but uh, they've been resolute defensively. And it sounds simple to say, but if you don't concede goals, you're going to have success in this competition. And, and that's been their recipe so far. So so big credit to them. Um, and the other game in this group, Adam, it was Melgar 1, Junior nil. No goals in three matches for what should theoretically, on paper at least, be a high-flying junior side um, Melgar are hanging around in this group and credit to them for that. The lone goal coming from Carmona in the 72nd minute for Melgar. I think it's still kind of tough to see Melgar getting out of this group. Uh, they still have to play obviously everybody one more time. Difficult to see them catching up, but give them credit for, for putting themselves in this group's race for sure. Yeah. And I think, and Tom was talking to us beforehand that you've actually been quite impressed by Melgar, haven't you, Tom? Yeah. I mean, by no means are they someone who I think are going to go really far in this tournament, but I, I like them. They, they're an effective unit. They've got some nice intricate link up and, you know, they, they break quickly and effectively. Um, whereas, you know, compared to junior, which is so slow getting back into their defensive shapes, it was, um, you know, they were made for quite a good end to end game. Neither of the sides very sharp in front of goal, but I think there's a, you know, there's, quite a lot to be a lot to like about the Melgar team they've got some interesting players like Arias who you know missed some quite big um, opportunities um Joel Sanchez is a good little player um I quite like the the the, the left back as well Neira um I thought he was quite decent and I think they've just got lots of interesting little midfield players and they all kind of revolve around Cuesta another one of these sort of big lumbering focal players point strikers um and I, I thought they were very sort of 
professional in the way they saw the game out. So, yeah, obviously disappointing from Junior, who are, uh, you know, the textbook example of being less than the sum of your parts. Yeah, they don't look like they're going to make it out of this group. Um, but yeah, I think Melga, you know, let's let's give them a bit of credit. You know, Peruvians haven't done that well. And I think the, this Melga team are the best of the three. Yeah, from what I've seen, I'll certainly go along with that. Let's, let's move on and to talk about Group B, last but not least by any means. And let's start with a game that, Austin, you briefly mentioned earlier, actually, Deportivo Lara. Um, they grabbed a quite impressive 2-1 win over Huracan. This game obviously played in Venezuela, but it again, it wasn't without um, incident, no? On and off the pitch. Yeah, this game played in Venezuela behind closed doors. Um, in the last Libertadores, there was a, a brief power outage in this match. Uh, the same situation that saw Lara's match against Emelec actually postponed earlier in the group stage. Uh, the lights went out on one side of the stadium, so the corners were a bit dark. Uh, but an impressive performance for Deportivo Lara. Uh, quickly before I get to them, Huracan. Wow, it has not been good for them lately. Uh, they have not won a match since... The end of January, uh, a 2-1 win against Rosario Central in the league. Before that, their last win was in November. They've been quite poor. They've been dreadful in this Libertadores. And they didn't really have a lot to show in this match. They gave up an early penalty. Um, Bernardo Manzano, a great name, Bernardo. I've never heard that before, but it's a great name. More on him in a second. Converted. Uh, and then Centeno for Lara right before the break gave them that 2-0 lead. Uh, an own goal from Manzano. There's that more on him in a second. Uh, got Huracan back in this match at 2-1. And then Manzano was sent off. So Manzano with a goal, an assist, an own goal, and a red card in this match, which is a pretty impressive individual performance, if I must be honest. It looked like Huracan might be able to do something with that, uh, with about 20 minutes to play and a man up. But they really didn't create a ton of chances. Uh, and the ones that they did, they certainly didn't take advantage of. So they're now marooned at the bottom of Group B. Only three points off Deportivo Lara, but they certainly have not looked capable of, of picking up those three points so far in this competition. Lara are right in the thick of it. Um, we'll get on to the Cruzado match in a second. Not a whole lot to report from there, but they topped the group on nine points. And I think they, this Deportivo Lara side have enough that that they can make some noise in this group and they could be the team that, that ends up getting out in second place. And what a story that would be. Um, fantastic for them to do this well. I was impressed with Manzano with all that he was able to do in this match. Uh, I thought Centeno is a good little player. Um, Salazar, the goalkeeper, quite acrobatic, quite athletic, is one to keep an eye on as well. So credit for Lara for, for grinding out this result at 2-1 and for giving themselves a real chance in this group. Yeah, uh, echo... Austin sentiments about just how poor Huracan are looking. They've they've just been a shadow of themselves ever since uh, Gustavo Alfaro left. Again, not not the biggest Argentinian side, and one that sort of flattered to deceive as well. I think this side, rather than being having their squad, you know, picked apart after doing well in the league, they they were actually looking like they probably could have done something if they'd still had Alfaro um, at the helm. Um, but it was just a shame that he, he went and took the Boca job and, and now they just don't look the same side um, under 
uh, Antonio Mohamed. So, yeah, really good result for Lara. And, yeah, a lot of love for Manzano, a.k.a. the apple tree, as I think we should uh, dub him now, um, for his, you know, goal, assist, red card, own goal. Just, yeah, absolutely love it. Yeah, this, this result means also that Argentine sides so far, halfway through the group stage, have just three wins in 18 matches. Um, do you know kind of what the reaction in Argentina has been, been to that? Yeah, I mean, obviously disappointment. Um, I think realistically, you know, a lot of the clubs that aren't Boca and River just don't receive as much attention. And especially when we've... Uh, you know, there's no Racing, there's no Independiente. Obviously, San Lorenzo are one of the grandes, but because they've been, everyone's been so underwhelmed by them generally since Almiron took over, that I think they're the, the one ray of light that everyone's been like, oh, they're actually <laughs> doing all right. But yeah, I think everyone before the tournament was well aware that this is not a strong group of, of Argentinian sides. Um, Boca and River, the only ones who, who, have the you know the resources probably to to go on and, and make a dent in this uh, competition um but at the same time i think anyone who's watched it will know that you know, there's no point in getting too excited at, at the group stage when four uh, teams can find a bit of form later on so yeah not not overly impressed but there's still a long old way to go and uh yeah you don't want to count your chickens too early so um i'm sure things can only get better for well probably the only the two or three Argentinian sides that will will get through. Yeah, for sure, for sure. Um, the last game we need to talk about is Emelec Neil Cruzeiro one. Now, Emelec have been so disappointing in this Libertadores so far, and one of the dullest teams as well. In in three games, there's just been one goal in their in their in their three matches, and and that came in the 32nd minute of this encounter. Austin Cruzeiro sit top of this group with nine points out of nine, and look a very safe bet to head through to the last 16 already. Yeah, you pretty much described everything you needed to know about this game when you said that the lone goal came in the 32nd minute. Hodriguinho with it for Cruzeiro. Um, they haven't been necessarily overly impressive. They haven't conceded yet. It's not like they've been pouring in the goals, but three wins from three, you'll always take that. And yeah, I'm with you on Emelec. Uh, this team should be doing more with the players that they have. Angulo, Cabezas. Um, you'd hope for more from Emelec, and there's still time for them to do more. Again, they only sit two points back of Deportivo Lara. They still get to play Lara at home. Um, but this has been quite disappointing from them so far. It's definitely fair to say. Yeah, second spot in this group looks wide open still, doesn't it? So if anybody can suddenly string a couple of wins together, they'd be in an excellent position to qualify. Okay, I think that rounds us up for this week. Um, we'll be back next week to talk about uh, round four of matches in this group stage and you know the picture will become ever clearer austin i'll just come back to you to find out if you've got anything to plug uh at austin underscore james 906 on twitter um i would also encourage you to follow at the libertadores and at the sudamericana for all of the latest news from those two competitions a new scouting spotlight podcast just released today on junior player luis diaz who's been linked with cardiff uh, Simon Edwards joined Tom and I for that. Uh, I thought it was really a really, really good show. Um, I think they're all really, really good shows. But I think that one in particular was really good. So be sure to check that out if you haven't yet. 
And Tom? Yep, you can find me on Twitter at TomRow89. And yeah, I would say check out that Luis Diaz uh, Scouting Spotlight pod as well. One that Simon actually bothered to turn up for. Um, but other than that, uh, I've got a piece out on uh, Matias Zaracho, part of uh, Racing's title-winning squad um, and a very exciting young midfielder. So, yeah, um, have a read of that as well. I'm very pleased we've got at least a hat-trick of digs in at Simon Edwards in in this podcast. You can find <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at AdamBrandon84. Um, if you if you don't follow me, then please follow me as I'm still trying to catch Simon up on, on there. So, yeah, give me a follow. Um, I haven't got anything specific to plug at the moment, but there, there are one or two things in the works for World Football Index, hopefully in the next couple of months in the build-up for the Copper America and for the Women's World Cup. And, yeah, some interesting stories from from this continent. Um, all that's left to say is a huge thanks again to Austin and Tom for joining me and for you guys for listening. And it's goodbye.